Tune in. Tune in. Tune in. It's the power of the game. It's the power of the game. It's the power of the game podcast by Golf Saudi. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Power of the Game podcast with myself, Robbie Greenfield. My guest in this episode is Torbjörn Johansson. He's the Director of Education at the Club Managers Association of Europe. It's a not-for-profit organisation. The CMAE is essentially designed to help individuals who work in the sports and leisure industry further their own careers and in doing so help the industry move forward as well. The CMAE play an invaluable role in that and they're going to be playing a very important role in the development of golf in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia as they collaborate ever more closely with Golf Saudi. Torbjörn's background in sport is extensive. He's worked in volleyball, he's worked for the Swedish Rugby Federation and latterly in golf. And I had to start this conversation by asking him what prospects there were for playing the game in the dead of winter in Sweden. His response was an emphatic one. No, when I uh, look out the window, I see three, four decimeters of snow. The, um, my five-year-old this morning sort of <laughs> went out the door and he said, Daddy, can I jump into, like, into the lawn? It's like, okay, yeah, sure. And he was like half of his body was covered. So he just, Woo! yeah, no. Uh, I mean, in, in the southern part, yes, it's still being played. It's a big country, Sweden. Um, but uh, no, in most, most part of it, uh, definitely not. And, and how is your game? Are you are you uh, a weekend warrior? Are you a, a low single figure handicapper? How would you describe it? I would I would probably describe it right now as very non-existent. Right. Uh, having two small kids and, and um, no, but I, I love to play golf. I, I loved it. I, I started um, playing golf while in uni. Actually, um, I, I didn't play it growing up. I was a vo- football and volleyball and handball, a lot of sports, but not not golf. And then at uni, I. I found the game at a nice golf club called Surfors up in northern Sweden. And then I'm hooked. Um, I would say that on tee, I'm not the confident person. I just want to get it out there. But then around the green, I'm actually quite good. But no, single figures, is um, that's the goal. Right, that's the goal. But you're not to be messed with in a putting competition then, Toby. Well, that, that, <laughs> that I can, well, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't challenge the best people, but I, I can, yeah, no. Uh, are you good at miniature golf. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, let's let's dream big. But uh, yeah. you know, you've you've had such an extensive background in in all of sport. You mentioned volleyball. I know you spent some time with the Swedish Rugby Federation as well. Uh, what ultimately kind of drew you to this role with uh, as director of education for for Club Managers of Association of Europe? Well, I've always been a fan of sort of uh, planning uh, ahead and and then looking at the future. And even when I was like ten years old. I, I set my sort of goal on becoming the new Juan Antonio Samaranch. You remember Samaranch, the, the old IOC president of the International Olympic Committee? That was sort of, oh, I want to be that guy. But then, of course, the, the dream was sort of transformed into, I want to work internationally. I would love to, to, to work with this and that. Um, and then uh, seven years along the um, Golf Club Management Association of Sweden, uh, the job came up and I knew CMAE because we were an alliance partner. And I thought hey, I've done this. I've turned a, a small organization into a, a medium size, etc. So um, happy to got the job three years ago. Uh, and now we're growing and we're doing really well. And, and I'm extremely happy and, and I'm not looking back since. Give, give us a, a kind of brief as to what CMAE really does for, for, for all the organizations that, that it partners with and that it assists and that it helps. Can you kind of give us an overview for those who aren't familiar with it, Toby? No, sure. Um, you said it quite right. We have alliance partners in various countries around Europe, Middle East, and Northern Africa. 
So uh, we're not directly a membership organization. We, our members would be a member, like in Ireland, they, they're a member of IGCMA, the Irish Golf Club Manager Association, uh, and, and, and so forth. We have, we have regions. Um, but what we really try to define us is as an education association. We're all in, we're all in it for the education, as well as being an um, umbrella body for club management associations in, in all sports, even outside sports, if you have clubs, like city clubs, uh, which is a big thing in the UK, but there are also some city clubs in France and UK and, and other countries. Um, so for those as well, we try to sort of be a club manager association um, in which we, de we, we deliver perhaps our flagship would be then the, the management development program in which we, we help managers become the best they can be so they can help their clubs grow um, or be the best they could be. Um, but we're, again, we're all in it for the education, um, for developed people. And uh, how long have you been working in the Middle East, just out of interest, and helping the, the clubs here? Because it, it's a very different culture out here, isn't it? I live in Dubai. I've lived in Dubai for the last 15, 16 years. I grew up in the UK where the golf club model is extremely different. I mean, it's, it's all based around a kind of membership model where, where the members run the club. And, and you know, that, that's, that's great and it's very traditional, but... There's obviously the, the need to make money and, and the Middle East has always been driven by that, that imperative, hasn't it? Yeah, it's kind of interesting, like you say, because one of the things we try to talk about on the program is to sort of say, hey, making money is not a bad thing. Making money, no one should consider that being a bad thing. You can be a non-for-profit association. You can be a club that, I mean, the budget is zero or whatever it is at the end of the, at the, end of the year. But you need to make a profit, otherwise you will die. It's just going to take a long time because you might have good funds. But yeah, the, the, the sort of the private members club on one side and the propriety clubs on the other side. I mean, the models are different in, in almost all countries. There are similarities, though, and, and those are the things we work with. We, we call it the 11 core competence, uh, the 11 core competencies of being a club manager. So Chris May in Dubai would, would have the same 11 core competencies um, as Mark New in Roehampton and, uh, in, in London, then how they use it and how they utilize them will be very different. Um, like you say, depending on if you have members that actually own the club or you have an owner or a company that owns it, uh, but you still have to sort of run the business. Yeah, I mean, I think um, the model has changed here. I think as the Middle East matures, I think the importance of of kind of making sure all the, the numbers and the figures make sense and that they add up. It's a bit like football financial fair play, I guess, you know, the books need to be balanced now. And uh, you can see that with all the golf clubs out here, there's, uh, there's that, that imperative to sort of make sure that they are a healthy, sustainable business model going forward. Is that something you've noticed? And is that something that you've had to tailor when kind of working with clubs in the Middle East, Toby? No, not, not, not really. Because um, again, we, we don't, physically go into the clubs we work more with people so they would bring that to us and then of course we adapt the content of the education and, and so forth um, but I, I do think that I mean those kind of trends uh, happen everywhere it's not just in uh, not just in the Middle East but of course the culture is still different um, and, and we have a pretty flexible uh, content that we work with so we're not trying to put the same program in we work with something called Kaizen which basically say that no course we run will be the same. We always have to develop, which makes my job interesting, but also tough um, because sometimes you would just, come on, can't we just copy paste sometime? But at the same time, you're like proud to, to say we've, we've, done, we've now done 
92 week-long education training sessions and no one has been the same. Um, so that, that's, that's part of what's fun with my job. Well, you mentioned Chris May, Dubai Golf CEO, of course, and, and he's actually said that, you know, working with you guys is now essential if you're in the industry, if you want to develop your career. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a huge testament for you guys and the work that you do. Can we break it down a little bit? Can we go into a bit more detail, Toby, on some of these education programs and, and what services? How are you helping professionals like Chris? Well, it's great to get that uh, testimonial from, from Chris. He's one of our certified club managers that we have. It's only 61 at the moment around Europe and Middle East. There's thousands over in America because they started a long time before us. We're, we're a young organization, uh, but we are growing. And our diploma that we have called the CMDIP, it's becoming industry standard um, around Europe and Middle East, something you sort of you need to have done in order to progress your career. Um, so for the likes of Chris... Um, he himself have been through the program. He got sort of, um, I mean, he's the CEO of Dubai Golf. It means that he has a lot of people beneath him that he then puts on the program and they, they see the benefit of it. What, what we try to do besides create a tribe and make people understand that they're not alone. They, um, things have been done. If they're now being done in Dubai, it's been done somewhere else before. Maybe not Saudi Arabia. That's more of a black canvas uh, that I guess we'll come back with. But um, um, what we do is a week-long education sessions where instead of us just telling them what to do, we often have people that's been in the industry for 10, 15 years. So we try to utilize what they already know, and then we put it into our content, and then we make it work for people. They, we, we discuss, we interact. Um, yeah, um, we actually ideally only want them, we, we want to see them one week per year. So this is this, uh, the whole sort of... Uh, pyramid that we work with is at least a five or six year um, training session for them and we get them to do a lot of things when they leave us before we see them next time etc etc so it's it's, yeah everything from leadership to marketing to governance to other things um, that sort of cover the the sort of spectrum of being in the club industry Uh, we have a lot of people coming on to sort of say hey one of the pros is that no day no day is the same in the club industry and we get a lot of people coming on the program saying one of the cons by being in the club industry is that no day is the same. <laughs> no, there's <laughs> never that's a respite. A, correct. Well, that's one of the challenges for us as well. Um, yeah, but, but, it, but it's, again, it's great to work with people like Chris because um, he's, he's now not just an ambassador, but also helping us develop new programs, new content. And you're, you're helping further the careers of industry professionals, as you say, people who work as, as club managers, as membership managers in the sports and leisure industry, you're giving them pathways to furthering their career fundamentally. Yes. And um, I mean, perhaps our biggest USP is that it's globally recognized. And that means that um, we call it MDP, the Management Development Program. In other parts of the world, it's known as the BMI program. If someone would be interested in moving to Australia, you can still get benefit from what you did with us. Or if someone is moving from Australia, they will have the, the, the luxury sort of, of oh, if, if they've done BMI one and two over there, they can just go on to the number three with us. So, um, and if someone is looking to, to travel and find a new job, well, if you've been through the program, that will at least open doors. It won't give you jobs automatically, but they, they, the people will then know what they've been trained at. Uh, and, and it is global skills. Uh, so that's an amazing thing to be working with in the club industry. And like we always say, every club is like one phone call away. Yeah. And I guess now we live in this virtual world, Toby, 
uh, it's even more imperative that you guys are in regular contact. How did you, how did you mobilize um, when the pandemic hit last year? Obviously, it caught everyone off guard, and everyone had to adapt very quickly. And I know that it's been tremendously challenging living out here for for clubs here in the Middle East to, to adapt and to kind of bounce back. But then there have been some positives. There's been an uptake and upsurge in interest in, in things like golf out here as a result, I think, of the pandemic as well. So that's had to be catered for. Chris himself said that when they reopened Emirates Golf Club, they were absolutely inundated with people who wanted to play golf and actually return to the golf course. So how did you find last year and, and how did you adapt on the hop, if you like, to, to sort of make sure that you could be as effective as, as you have had been prior to that? Well, the MDP was a, is a residential program. So for us, it was a big hit uh, because we were sort of known that you go to us, you go on the Sunday, you have five days, amazing days together with us and your fellow colleagues. And then you don't want to leave on the Friday. You sort of want to stay and have fun. And um, so, of course, that, that was tough. But um, I'm still really glad that we were able to go into what I was already writing on my whiteboard here at the office. I had blended learning up on, on, on that, that I've written down because we needed to do more things online. Having members in over 40 countries, um, it, that was necessary. And the pandemic pushed us in the right direction. We had a webinar series that were ready to go. So it's kind of interesting to sit on the other side here <laughs> because I normally do the interviews with uh, club managers around the globe from, from Hong Kong to America to uh, Iceland to Ireland, etc. It's been It's been an amazing ride. We've done over... 54, 55 webinars now that we've sort of sent to our membership. Then we got the sort of go ahead from the global committee to do MDPs online. So for the last couple of months, we've also done a five-day online training program and the results have been amazing. The people have been so happy. Of course, they have nothing to compare with because the people who are on it, they've never done the, the MDP training before. Um, but, but at least, yeah, it, it's not like residential but it has its advantages and um, Zoom is quite nice. I am a Zoom fan um, and of course other with video streaming services as well. But um, yeah, we will, we will try to go back to residential training as soon as possible without right. putting people in danger. Um, but we have a lot of, we have, uh, we've, we've had a lot of good things happening this time. We're really, I'm really grateful and I feel really humbled to, to get all the, the great feedback from our members throughout, uh, well, throughout Europe, Middle East and Northern Africa actually. It's a, it's a people industry. I mean, yeah. it's, it, it's built on relationships and obviously those relationships are forged in person at, at conferences. And as you mentioned, the res, residential courses, is there any concern that, you know, we've gone down a road where it will be ultimately, it will be quite difficult to go back to, to how things were. God. We won't go back to how things were. We will go into whatever the things will be. So I'm, I'm with you on True. that one. Um, so again, I'm really happy that we decided very early to try and do things online. Um, I do hope, really hope, that we will be able to have residential programs and that people can do um, international travel without feeling um, uncertain about what's going to happen because then we won't do it um, but, but definitely it will be different. It won't be done in the same exact way. Um, but uh, whatever that new thing will be, we have to just wait and see. Hopefully we have some great vaccines coming our way um, and, and uh, the world can then hopefully be a better place, not just the same as before, but actually people might think a bit, bit longer, but a bit more before doing things. At least we can hope. We can. Yeah, we can. You're absolutely right to say we're, we're heading into the future. We don't, we don't want to go back to where we've 
we've come from. But uh, I suppose from your point of view, working in the Middle East and, and looking at Saudi Arabia as a, as a whole, it's a very interesting proposition, Saudi Arabia, what, what they're trying to do here. Have you ever seen anything? Is this, is this officially unprecedented, Toby? Yes, I would say so, at least for the last 20, 30, 40 years. Um, having the sort of um, a project of this magnitude, which combines both the building of courses, the building of clubhouses, the, the uh, no, I'm not going to say the luxury, but, but at least sort of you can, you, can, you can take what everyone has learned the last hundred years and you try to make the sort of the optimal clubhouse. Just imagine if, I'll, I'll talk to some people about things like this. Imagine if you could, rewrite your clubhouse from scratch you just remove it and build a new one and yeah. they will go yes yes please or i mean again with the golf courses make a clean sweep start over again because yeah an architect can do a lot of things but miracles that's very tough to do um, and then of course with the whole sustainability strategy people can dream of that too um, but then having the resources and the man hours and the whole country behind you on it no, never seen anything like it. And it's going to be amazing. It is already amazing to follow it from within as yeah. we're very fortunate to be um, and then to see where it goes. Um, and, and also not, not to sort of say, well, you have to be done in six months, but actually have a long-term strategy and, and the number of people involved. It, it, yeah, I'm, I'm amazed and, and happy to be a part of it. You know, Vision 2030, there's something so neat and tidy about it. Like everything is going to be be done by by 2030 and and obviously i've lived in this region a long time i i don't doubt that the capability is there and the, the desire and the willpower and and most importantly i suppose the that the investment and the funding is there to do what they want to do but is it achievable because when when you when you sort of break it down the numbers that they're after that, that there's obviously going to be about 13 new high level high-end golf courses designed and built in the kingdom in the next eight or nine years. They want a million locals to have tried the game of golf by 2030. They're looking at bringing in multitude of different facilities. It's not just golf courses, it's driving ranges, it's things like Top Golf. It's diversifying a kind of basically just dropping an already sophisticated and, and mature market onto this, as you mentioned earlier, this blank canvas, is, is that feasible? I definitely think so. With the success already now on the top golf in Dubai and the locals that get involved with um, the interest that it already generated almost before starting the project, women and children involved, which of course was one of the big things with that entire project, yeah, I see no reason why they would change now. Um, and, and again, like you say, Vision 2030, it feels good in your mouth to talk about that. And at the same time, RNA are talking about 2030. There's a lot of other projects that will they'll go that way. I have no, no reason to doubt it. Um, and we'll do our best to help on, on, from, from our side too, because of course, all the organizations, companies that are involved will play their part in, in trying to get the numbers on the other side to work. Um, like you said, 1 million to have tried it might sound ridiculously high, but it's actually quite doable once you get people through the system and you work with schools, you work with this and that. Um, I don't think it's, it's way up there, but, and if, it, if, it's, if it's only 850,000, 
I'll still say, wow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you aim so high and then, yeah, absolutely. If you achieve even, as you say, 80, 85% of that, it's a huge success, but you know, education- yeah, all, and again, I've already seen them gathering some of the best uh, people in the industry. They, they have really um, taken some of the best and then trying now to, to really get Saudis involved in all parts of it. And that I guess is also the big difference that they're trying to make in Saudi Arabia. And I, and I love it. What's the harder challenge, Toby? And I think I know the answer to this, but the structural, the infrastructural challenge uh, of actually building all these facilities and, and kind of putting the pieces, the building blocks together to creating this, or it's a much harder to pin down. It's, a, it's sort of a kind of a cultural appropriation of golf. And it's not something that, that's ever, ever been, you know, something that Saudis have grown up with, obviously. We, we grew up in golfing nations where it was yeah. natural to have a go at the game and, and, and get into the game that way. That's quite hard to, to inculcate, isn't it? Well, I had the, uh, the pleasure of, uh, during four or five years, to work with Swedish rugby. And whoever heard the word Sweden together with the word rugby? <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> We've definitely not grown up with it. And there was a lot of expats and people from, from other countries that played rugby in Sweden. And to try and sort of um, make it through the kids and get them to play again, that was a long-term plan without resources behind it. So, um, and it's still, still doing well. It's still okay, but definitely not among the biggest sports in Sweden. Here you have a, a, the cultural aspect is so much tougher. If it wasn't for the pandemic, it would have been a very easy to, a question to answer. Now, of course, it's a bit different because now building things suddenly becomes much more difficult. Um, but I still, I still go for the second one, the, the culture aspect to sort of make a country wanting to play golf, not just uh, get them to try hit the ball once and then they don't hit the ball and they don't like it and, and they leave. Uh, we've all been there. <laughs> we've yeah. all done that. So, oh, just, um, I mean, the, a wonderful sport and very frustrating sport every now and then when things don't want to do what you want to do. Um, but I do think that with all the different pieces that are coming together, I mean, you don't change culture that quickly, but you nudge it a little piece at a time. We call it nudging. You sort of just help to push it along. And if we're then thinking it from a sort of a 10-year perspective, well, it won't happen the first five years. It won't happen the first six years. I think it's going to come down the line of that. If they're, if they're consistent, if um, the pieces that, well, Ed and everyone around the team are working on, They'll get there. They'll get there. And it will be so interesting to follow this. Um, but it's not going to be easy. No, no one said it's going to be easy. No, of course not. And you're right. You're absolutely, yeah. that's a great, great turn of phrase that. I like that. Nudging it in the right direction. What, mm. what, are, the, what are the key accelerators, Toby? Is it, is it a breakout Saudi Arabian European tour player? Is that, is that something that's going to accelerate it or be a catalyst for kind of, you know, more growth, more interest? It's definitely one of the key aspects of it. Um, it, is, it, it is important to have people to look up to. Um, if you think about Sweden and football, everyone knows Slatan. You might not love him, but all kids know Slatan. Um, so, of course, my, my six-year-old, he wants to play football. He even asked me one evening, Dad, is Slatan real? <laughs> no, he's a myth. Yes. Yeah! <laughs> so, of course, if, I mean, when Stenson had a great time, uh, people of Sweden talked about Stenson. And, we, uh, and of course, golf is now a, a, a public sport in Sweden. People, we have over 500,000 people in, in Sweden play golf. Uh, but over a million call themselves golfers. So that's also quite interesting how you measure uh, being a golfer or a licensed player. 
Um, and here in, in Saudi Arabia, we're talking about having 1 million people trying the sport. So that's a third way of measuring. And of course, I mean, to get kids to have fun would be the next one. Um, I mean, we have the, the aspect of golf being the, the perfect sport, sport to play over the generations, getting granddad, grandmother to play with their grandkids and this and that. That will also be an important aspect to get people to understand that. But that will also take a while. So, so yes, I, I do believe you're right. If a player would make it uh, big time, that would definitely be a part of it. And the CMAE, can you kind of outline exactly how you're working with individuals like like Ed for for Golf Saudi? Is this is this a, a case of Ed going through the programs? Is it is it a case of yeah. all of yeah. the the industry professionals within the sort of Saudi Arabian golf setup within Golf Saudi? Ah. They're all involved, ah. are they, with the CMAE? Yeah. Yes, they are now. Um, and what we're actually doing in, in Saudi Arabia is building a program for Gulf Saudi specifically, which means that we take the cultural aspects uh, into place. We have local people helping us because, again, I wouldn't be able to write a program for Saudis because I'm a Swedish guy. I wouldn't know what to take and what to do exactly. I might, we might have the same foundation, but things we have to be specific when we go into certain countries. So... Um, in, in the relationship between CMA and Gulf Saudi, we're actually developing new content for people who's coming into the industry that don't have the background. They haven't been fortunate enough, perhaps, to, to live at a golf club or to be a golf club member. They might not even understand why the, why the white ball has all these holes in them or, oh, an iron club. What, what, yeah. So we're building it from scratch with golf introduction, an entry-level program, a supervisor program, a pre education program before they even start the journey on what on the existing mdp program so so what what we are building now together with golf saudi which feels amazing is something that then can be taken to other countries to sort of help people get into the industry but but um, we're building it first and foremost for golf saudi for saudis to be done in saudi arabia um, and that's our sort of the biggest focus now for the for the coming year what, what advice would you have to Saudi nationals who want to get into the golf industry? Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing industry to be in. Um, last week, even, I, I had an online training program and I got the, all the delegates to sort of list the pros and cons of the industry. And then we, did, well, then we take it to a vote. So, I mean, everything from the, the venue, the, 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 where you're working, uh, the individuals, you get to work with people on a daily basis. Uh, you have amazing opportunities to, uh, in, in a global industry to travel and, and to get um, the tribe from, from every country uh, around the world uh, to sort of engage with you. Wherever you travel, you will have a friend. Um, it, is a, it is a place of passion because people who come to the golf clubs are very passionate. The... Um, individuals often working at the golf clubs are passionate. So that's going to be an interesting challenge to, for, for, for people to understand about the passion. And you need to control the passion because it can get out of hand. Some people don't think that it's even a job and they're so wrong, but it's a, it's a work of passion. Um, so it has to be controlled in the right way because people work way too much uh, because they love it. That, that's the problem. Uh, but it's also an advantage. That's what I'm saying. It's also a pro. Um, so I, I, I look forward to having more uh, colleagues in Saudi Arabia coming into the industry for us. And we look forward to see them all uh, going through our program and then develop in any way direction they want to. 
when I think about how journalism has changed and, and even in the short time, well, actually it's not that short, but I've been doing it. It's about 20 years. So it's getting there. But uh, obviously when I started, you know, writing and being able to operate word was just about enough. Uh, and, and what you've needed to, to learn over the course of the last 10, 15 years is quite dramatic with, with technology playing a huge role and, I've had to work out how to use a roadcaster these last few days, which is which has certainly been a challenge. But what are the trends and the challenges facing industry professionals in the clubs, in the sports clubs and the sports facilities across the world, Toby? Uh, what what have they had to adapt to, and and where are they headed? Well, I, I thought you, I think you you almost nailed at least one part of it, and that would be information technology. We used to talk about our ten core competencies. Ten is such a nice figure to talk about. But it's now 11 because information technology has taken over that. So, so that, that's been added. And everyone who's in the industry now have to sort of have some sort of knowledge about it. Um, that will not change. It will grow more. But with that growing, you have the other, uh, the other thing. You will be even more uh, service focused because ideally uh, all the information technology will be used in the kind of way that people can do things themselves. If someone is coming to a golf club, you check in, you do all the other things yourself so that the staff at the club can take care of you instead of having you, okay, what's your handicap? What's this? Should I print you this? Should I? And that it's more of, it's not a fun process. It should be more about how can I help you? Have you been here before? Can I help you carry the bag? What's about this? Hey, here over here, we have the, uh, the restaurant. Do you want a beer before? I mean, all, all the sort of the fun parts of the service culture instead of, Okay, you need to do this. Remember that, and and um, uh, and that's that's going to be a challenge as well on how you manage this. How can how can you get people walking around the club without a firm desk to stand behind? Or um, and that's definitely one of the challenges. And again, the biggest competitor we have is time. It's definitely time, and that's not going to be any less time. But I do think that if you're looking at the sort of the club industry in the future, club and leisure even this will be even more needed. People will need the breathing space. They need to, um, well, step away from the internet every now and then uh, and engage with people. That we will always need. Though so I do still believe that the future looks very bright for the, for the sort of the club industry. Right. Okay. Well, that is, that is encouraging. And you mentioned there, I mean, data capture as well. And that's, that's such a hot topic at the moment. Our, our privacy and you know, how much data we're giving to others and, and big companies that are kind of surveying us or operating surveillance on us. And yet the industry is moving that way in which I go to a golf club and people, people know who I am. They know my likes and my dislikes. Does that make sense? That's a, that's a bit of a fine line to be walking down, isn't it? Yeah, it might be. I mean, the, the, the base, though, would be to have the relationship between the member and the club. So they would, of course, choose if they want to be a member of the club or not. So we're not talking about uh, finding information online about someone. We are asking them to share it with us uh, from a club perspective. Um, yes, we, we've had GDPR and we still don't know what that means, what it's all about still, because we don't have any cases on it, really. Um, and then came the pandemic and there's now even more discussions about this and that. Um, I do believe it's all about the service culture, though. If you feel you're a member of, well, take Dubai Golf, then again, that's a good example. And you show up at the club and they would know, hey, Mir, hey, Mr. Johansson, good to see you. It was great to see you last Friday. I hope you've been well. How's the, how's the wife? How's the two kids? 
that will still feel like an fantastic way to to uh, to be welcome to your club mm. because you know that a member thinks it's their club so uh, yeah it belongs to them mm, mm. <laughs> again which i come back to passion it's a, it's it's supposed to be a passionate and good way of of seeing it i know not everyone <laughs> thinks that but but um, yeah it can be tough sometimes to be a manager when you have 10,000 uh, 1000 people that think they're actually in charge of the club um but at the same time, it's a, it's a it's a kind of a love hate relationship because you 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 love them at the same time as you they sometimes people can just be a bit too much. But it's again a lot about the passion. Don't touch my club. Don't yeah. change my club. <laughs> I love my club. What have you done with the second yeah. hole? It was so good before. People do not like change. That is one thing I have learned over the few last. Yeah, few which years, is kind so. of interesting since the only constant in life is change. But, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's probably um, but, why people yeah. don't like it, I guess. But Saudi Arabia, let, let's let's finish on on that note. I mean, sure. I, I've witnessed firsthand the warmth of the hospitality there so that they've got that ingredient. They've got the blank canvas that you referenced earlier. They've got the experts on ground who are going to deliver this. Can they become a world leader in uh, in such a short space of time in, in, in golf, leisure, hospitality, in those industries? Uh, uh, can they achieve that in the next eight, nine years? Wow. World leader. That's a strong, that's a strong statement. I would say that um, they can definitely achieve things that would be impossible in many other countries around the world. Um, would, would they be a, a sort of a, a haven for golfers and, and to come to these courses and see what's happening? Definitely. Um, to sort of say that they will take the lead about it before everyone else. I mean, let's see. We, we, we will do our part and, and get um, the staff and, and, and the other people around there as trained as possible in order to, to give everyone who visits uh, the best experience possible. Um, if they get the Saudis in a, in a couple of years to really engage into golf, why not? Um, hard time, I have a hard time to see that it will be better than, than other countries that have golf for hundreds of years. Um, because again, this very short distant i mean it's not that many years to 2030 we might think it's a long time but suddenly it's going to be 2023 and then it's suddenly 2025 and Don't then we're there <laughs> uh, but, but, no but 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 basically what i'm saying is we will see something that we've never seen before happen in saudi arabia and it's going to be amazing will they be um the country to talk about yes they will will they be uh, a new sort of um, the new hot destination for golfers to go to definitely um, will we? Will, will will people love it? They will. Uh, will they be world leaders? Let's see. Let's see. Let's watch this yeah. space. <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, to be continued. Yeah, to be continued <laughs> on a future episode. Well, listen. Thank you so much for joining us, Toby, on the the Power of the Game podcast. It's been an absolutely uh, revelatory and and in very insightful conversation because uh, you know I think. What they are trying to do is so unprecedented here in, in Saudi Arabia. And, and I know you guys are supporting them every step of the way. So I'm sure they're very grateful for that support. And, and I'm sure they're going to achieve huge things over the course of the next few years, as, as you referenced as well. So thanks so much for being a part of the podcast series, Toby. And I look forward to catching up with you soon. I hope the snow melts in some time so you can actually swing a golf club again. Yeah, thank you so much, Robbie. It's been a pleasure. And again, it was interesting to be on the other side. I actually enjoy that too, uh, rather stuff. than being the interviewer. Yeah. So, so well well done Robbie well done oh, thank, thank you so much. much Toby we'll talk mm. soon yeah alright thank you thank Cheers. you so much
A massive thank you to Torby and Johansson for joining us on this podcast. It's fascinating to hear about the work that the CMAE are doing and we watch that space with interest as they continue to work very closely together with Golf Saudi. Big thanks to Torbian. Please do, if you'd like to catch a future episode of this podcast, please do subscribe. You can follow Golf Saudi's progress as well, golfsaudi.com and on their social media handles. On Instagram and Twitter, that's at golf underscore Saudi. And please don't, do, don't forget to tune back in to this Power of the Game podcast for future episodes in which we talk to the key stakeholders who are involved in driving the game of golf forward in the kingdom. Until next time, we'll catch you then.